Thank you again for tuning in. If you're returning, welcome. If this is your first time, um, I wanted to take some time today to talk about some thoughts that I've been having on the state of our world and what it's like to be a 25-year-old living through these times and seeing the news that is happening about the world and everything related to like climate-related disasters, um, building disasters. I think we're, um, lately there's been, um, you know, news going around about structural failures in big buildings that housed a lot of people and many died and just all of this, it, it just feels, so I've been reflecting on, on all of these things that are happening around in the world. There was a pipeline, I think, that burst somewhere in the Gulf of Mexico and it led to like a fire being in the ocean and just that super apocalyptic visual um and what i've been processing is how similar this feels to a sci-fi book like a really intense sci-fi book and how as a child i would willingly choose to like enter and engage with these fantasy worlds knowing that it was just a fantasy knowing that it was something that I could close and set aside on my desk or on my bed and go back to my real life and live out my real life which is mundane and predictable to an extent and safe relatively speaking like there is as a child I sort of I think I operated with the comfort of a script for my life. Like I knew that I would go through elementary, middle, high school. Then my parents encouraged me to get to college. So I felt like, you know, I had all of these understandings, these rudimentary, not rudimentary, but just like these not yet fully nuanced understandings of how society worked and that there was injustice and that you know my own family experienced our share of like economic occasional economic instability and periods of like all these things right but it was still like it felt safe because someone was going to do something about it to keep me from falling into instability as a child i separated the idea of science fiction like science fiction was science fiction to me um today and over the past few i think days if not weeks i have been drawing a lot of it just it feels like we are living in like a science fictiony type world when you consider the tropes of i'm chewing gum i don't know if y'all can hear this i'm so sorry um I'm gonna take it out. Okay. <laughs> um, tropes of science fiction include like some disastrous, like apocalyptic event has happened and the world is just severely altered from the way that it used to be. Uh, like a big, like an asteroid hit the earth or like suddenly we're all living in space colonies or 
um, like all governments are exterminated somehow and then the rule goes directly to the people and all of these you know like zombie outbreak all of these like a major event happens that just rattles the structure of our entire society and the rules that once were are rewritten and the hierarchies and the social organization of these science fiction worlds are extreme and blatant and like you have some people with very strong strong personalities and maybe underdeveloped emotional frameworks <laughs> um that like try to become dictators and and try to lead their factions and you just have like just a complete overhaul of what we know now and it's interesting to consume these as someone reading science fiction or watching science fiction um because it's it's like an exaggeration an over exaggeration of the world and the lives that we currently live here in the quote-unquote real world but since all of this news has been coming out you know since i've been consuming not 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 that it just exists on social media uh, because these are things that are happening in real life that we engage with in and like of ourselves like it's not just a distant story a lot of these things like between the climate related disasters between the stories and the the real events of buildings collapsing and um failures of the electric grid like we had in texas back in february of 2021 um all of these like man sort of yeah man-made disasters that affect lives the handling of the pandemic like we we had we are still in the middle of a pandemic right um the movement for social the various movements for social justice and how those hierarchies with like their hierarchies within like our society along the lines of race and gender and ethnicity and sexual orientation and like those things like it feels like since that like it feels like at least in my circles being that i'm 25 years old around other 20 30 something year olds i'm around teenagers through my job and the work that i do i'm around elementary school people i think across the board no matter what i guess like generation uh i'm talking to there seems to be a more heightened awareness of everything that's like going wrong in the world everything that's challenging all of the injustice there's an awareness now more so than i recognized as a child like there's more discussion of of, of capitalism and i don't think it's just because i'm old enough and i now know the definition of capitalism and like structural injustice related to money um and power i i also noticed that like more and more high schoolers these days more and more middle schoolers these days now have the vocabulary and and understanding they are now able to intellectually cons like grapple with these big structural concepts in a way that at that age when i was their age when i was in their grade levels i i did not have an awareness i've noticed just a lot of changes across the board like i was speaking recently to two of my very very good friends about how much more thoroughly um at least in like the united states like part of the world that we live in how much um more open and understanding we are of of mental health like there has been a huge huge like exponential jump in like 
understanding and validation and sort of like making legitimate uh, like the need to take care of our mental health. Um, and you can note it in even the media that we consume. If you look back, like whenever my partner and his brother and I are looking through, maybe looking through old movies from the 2000s, I'll notice that the the, the humor, the jokes that are in like the comedy movie, in the comedy movies um, are like compared to today, like I often note like that sort of thing would not be accepted. That thing would not even be allowed to be like written and produced and showcased to an entire audience because more people are having an understanding that some of the foundation of those jokes are like it's just more nuanced and it is I, I don't know like there's just been a lot of changes there have been a lot of changes and as I mentioned earlier being 25 years old in the year 2021 in the middle of a pandemic still that is like it's still ongoing it feels like I mean more more places are opening up more people are going out in public and more people are more comfortable without wearing masks um and like everyone I think most if not everyone in my closest circles have been vaccinated and so I think I I won't speak for anyone else but I noted it myself a like despite the fact that the pandemic is still ongoing and that the United States has, in general, had more access to, um, like, quick, uh, relatively efficient healthcare, despite, again, the failings of the government to really make it as accessible as it could, like, by, like, just, like, compared to other countries who are still in need of, like, baseline vaccinations, period. It's just a big mess. Like, we're not fully out of it um we're not and yet there's been so it's been strange to sort of go to go through that experience on top of again consuming all of the really intense things about the world that make it feel like we're in the middle of a sci-fi novel or series of novels because there's been so much (laughs) that has happened there's been so much that has been happening it feels like 2020 was a really intense year 2021 is also a really intense year like we are all we are all human beings you know like that is i think that's why i'm I'm so fired up about when we think about climate change when we think about social injustice especially like because that social, because social injustice, because inequalities are manufactured, because inequalities, structural inequalities are the result of people being unfair to other people. Like it's not something that organically, like the, the idea of racism or, or like economic inequality is not something that just like it's not something that needs to happen. It's not a law. It doesn't need to be a law of nature because I would think that we as human beings have the intellectual capacity to move towards a more just society. There are already people thinking through how society can be more fair so that every human being can live a fair life because every human being deserves to live a fair life. You know what I mean? Like, 
we have our differences and you know that's that's just a fact but the one thing that is universal across every single human being is that like you know not to get all like we're all going to die we are all going to die and to me as morbid as that is to recognize and really grapple with um i find it useful to think about every so often because that drives me towards like seeking and building um towards justice towards equity towards equality towards just changing the way that our society is now changing our communities changing our government structures changing our interpersonal interactions towards justice because we don't have all of the time in the world we have the capacity to be more united or at the very least to be less shitty towards one another you know given that our time here is limited it's just that's the thing that really boggles my mind and i think is the thing that i that i think i i get really upset about when i consider you know like the fact that I need to get the exact statistic because I don't have it now. I don't have the exact numbers, but hearing, again, when we think about climate change, how human behavior has contributed, like, a dis- like, a re- like humans have contributed, and it's not, like, most human beings on the world do not play as intentional of a role in climate change as some of the people that historically have led these big industries like the oil industry or like any of the industries contributing to pollution. Very few people relatively have have played as big of a role in building those industries that contribute to like the deterioration of our climate compared to like the billions of other people, which is not to say that the rest of us are like not able to be, don't have a responsibility, but some people have more response, just some people have more power. Yes. The fact that some people have more power, more, more chess pieces to play with in this big game of the world and across the history of the world with like the dawn of society um and 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 all of that like i am an individual living in austin texas and i drive a car and i do like have a reusable water bottle and i do believe that like it is within my power to do what i can to like move towards a more sustainable environment because we're already it feels like we're already past the tipping point of like being able to reverse the direction that this is going Um, but like I can do what I can do and I will do what I can do. Um, but there are people with more power than me in this society, like the oil tycoons or the automobile tycoons who can make decisions from the top down to, I don't know, reduce, I don't know if it's the correct term, reduce fuel emissions that would help even more uh, because they just have more power. They, they have more influence over 
more of the world than I do. And so when you think of it like that, me being who I am with the relative lack of power that other people do, I get frustrated sometimes thinking about like, well, why aren't they invested in trying to sustain the whole world? And I think a common, you know, a commonly accepted assumption is that they're prioritizing finances and uh, like economic power and, and, you know, their capital interests over, you know, the, the globe. Um, so I've been thinking about that. That is one of the things that I've been thinking about. And that is where, like, I started to, or one of the places where I was like, oh, God, this is such a sci-fi novel type concept where these, like, we have these people who don't even care and the world is going to implode on itself. And, like, there's already extreme, extreme injustice. Like, you can... I think there are multiple studies that identify that life expectancy life expectancy is literally lower for specific for for individuals with specific identities um, along identity lines like that clearly show that there is a hierarchy of those with more power and more access to healthcare or more access to just like a quality of life that doesn't contribute to chronic stress or or like the related like diminished physical health and emotional health and all of those things you know so there there's a hierarchy and i'm thinking about that and one of the more recent i think within the past month or so one of the more recent news things that i've encountered was that like several of the fucking billionaires of this world are um like making a plan to go to space and I, I did jump to conclusions because, you know, okay, so I, I did jump to the conclusion or the guess that like, oh my gosh, like these wealthy people, the people with the power to literally influence more of the world than I can in my current position, um, they can just leave. <laughs> so like pipelines are bursting and um, <laughs> like fires are ongoing and power lines are continuing to go out, leaving people um, like in dire conditions, in extreme weather conditions. So all of this is happening and people are suffering and the rich people can just like leave. And I, I think people, there was, you know, casual talk, not necessarily, not substantiated claims, right? But I mean, as humans do, we speculate and like are just, you know, we do that. I admit that I do that. Um, I think I like, fantastically speculated that like oh my god like they would build fucking colonies on mars and they'd get to live in their luxury mars condos um so like that's kind of the like low buzzing thought that was repeating in my head almost every time that i would encounter even more news about the world exploding in on itself in some way and today i'm gonna pull it up on my phone i found um, a twitter thread that someone retweeted by um, Sim Kern, I believe, two separate words. Um, their at, their Twitter at for credit is S I M underscore K E R N. And they posted a, they started a thread on Twitter speaking. Um, they, are the, they are the spouse of a NASA flight controller and just went into um, much appreciated detail about how. Um, billionaires getting to like escape and live luxury lives on 
on a different planet is not probable. Um, I encourage y'all to look, look for the thread. I'll see if I can somehow find a way to link it through my social media. Um, but it really, it, that's what prompted me uh, to do this specific episode. Just in the thread they describe um, listening to their spouse, the NASA flight controller, um, like help coordinate space trips and how unlikely it is that like the idea of luxury that these billionaires like Elon Musk and I think Jeff Bezos um, could be wrong um, are, are thinking about like they're they're not gonna have a good time up there and it's not that I you know necessarily wish harm on them it just helped sort of ease my mind and my frustration that those with power are able to just take and take and take and get away with it and continue to live more comfortable lives, at least financially, than the rest of us who do not have access to things that have become luxuries, but like shouldn't be luxuries, like health care and homes and just, yeah. So I, I recommend reading through the thread. I don't want to go too far into it because I think the experience of reading it is like it deserves to be like fully engaged with um I'm really like vibing with it right now so those are my thoughts um I I'm a for those who don't know I'm currently in a grad program for social work and am on their two tracks the like administration and policy track I think and the clinical track um which is the one that I'm on and I'm hoping to do more direct one-on-one -on -one or group, um, like really focusing on like mental health, uh, support on a like one-on-one -on -one basis and less of the like macro level stuff of like organizing, <laughs> organize, you know, so I, um, grappling with these topics and grappling with my position in the world and my identity and the identities of those that I am in community with, the identities and positions of those whom I love. Um, I find it, I found it really interesting that, or I feel, I feel like having no choice but to think about these things as I'm in the middle of my um, like grad school process, my development, my early development as like a clinical, a future clinical social worker, that has been really useful. I am grateful because this is, um, this is really helping me develop my sense of ethics as a, a social worker to be a mental health professional to be, which I think is really important um, for those who um, may not be as familiar as I was not before entering this program. Um, social workers, I think, adhere to a code of ethics by the NASW, the National Association of Social Workers. And I think, so, like, they have a code of ethics that we adhere to. And from my perspective, most of it is, like, related, I mean, they, they, so, they address ethical ethics at, uh, like, the direct interpersonal level like the one-on-one -on -one level as well as i think the greater uh the next few levels of like human 
society, like at the, the big level, like they do address social justice. Um, and it's one thing to like read through those ethics and do like little assignments in class on like, do I understand the ethics and like, how do these factor into my decisions? Um, but it's also another thing to sort of think about, think about them and beyond them, because this is just like one thing that has been drafted by an organization. Um, but to think beyond ethics um, and really seek and develop a sense of like morality that is informed by like real life experience and a knowledge of the history that led to these current social conditions that we're in in um like that is that has been exciting for me that has been challenging for me um that has also been intertwined with my own personal development um in terms of my own mental health and my own um like processing of my social identity like how i am a friend how i am a partner how i am a daughter a sister um, a mentor and so on so that's that's been really exciting um i'll take some time now to also think about <laughs> this is potentially going to be a big a big 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 topic to cover um so i've also been reflecting on like I mentioned before, like my moral development, my like uh, the, the development of my ever changing identity and the development of my um, like role as a future mental health person. And I guess I'll go through the history of my experiences um, and sort of trace up to the present how um, how I've how I've grown morally and intellectually and I'm I guess physically too so I started um I, I would say that the my journey started with the mental health field like I knew okay as I was going into college I knew that I was going to major in psychology I knew that I already had in mind that I wanted to become a counselor um and so I, I did that, and as I was going through my undergrad, because for to apply for graduate school in the field of psychology or like related fields, it is recommended or like required that you need to have uh, like lab experience. So experience being in some sort of lab um, thing, I think. Uh, so I was in a lab. I was in the lab for the study of anxiety disorders. Um, headed by Dr. Michael Telch at UT Austin. And um, the specific project that I was on, I was on two projects led by the same PI, um, I think primary investigator, awesome person. Um, one of my like first real, real mentors, um, Cindy Lancaster, um, who I think, yes, got her PhD when I like pseudo graduated from undergrad. Um, so great PI and what we were doing. So, so I was in her lab, I was a, uh, an undergrad research assistant and one of my colleagues passed along a, like an opportunity, like an application for, uh, UT's, oh God, urban education, like teaching certificate program. I think it was a certificate program. So like people who are interested in uh, like working with children and at the time I super was and obviously still am because I still work with children 
Um, but that was like my first, that, that was my first like formal introduction to the work that I think, the work that I've grown into now. Um, so I, I applied, I got in, so I'm like training to be a teacher, secondary education, teaching social studies in this summer program through Breakthrough, Central Breakthrough Austin of like, um, it was, it's an AmeriCorps program. So I spent the summer like teaching incoming ninth graders. So like people, I think who had students who had just graduated from eighth grade. So that was my, that was my first, like, I'm a teacher and I'm responsible in part for not only these students safety right like not just like classroom management and like making sure that people don't get hurt as we're well, like walking to the park or or managing arguments in class but also responsible for uh nurturing their critical thinking skills and i think that was the first real time that i started to grapple with like a, a sense of ethics being that i have power i have power as um, you know a student teacher in that context to influence a lot of things in that space, and that was very scary for me. I like I'm kind of surprised at how I I stuck with it, and um, I stuck with it, and um, by the end of the summer program. Um, because it was in the year 2016, which was a very, uh, I think that was one of the years that the movement for black lives was particularly recognized. I mentioned in a previous episode that movement for social justice towards racial, uh, towards racial justice has been ongoing since like, for a very long time. It's not as though these mindsets are, are particularly new, but there was a resurgence of that, a like renaming um, surge of awareness, I think in 2014, 15, 16. So at that time, it was also the election year too. And so I was on fire. Um, like I was so motivated in my role to like really, really influence, to really, really allow the students to develop and use critical thinking to engage with like what is going on in the world at this time at that time 2016 the majority of my students um were oh the program is specifically for incoming first generation college students to be so already like to consider that and to consider my own background and to consider that i think the majority if not all of the students were um black latinx um, like students of color, incoming first generation, like already, like I, it was so important then to allow these students an opportunity to talk about how they were doing, what their school environments were like, um, what like other skills, what other like not necessarily formal academic skills to develop. Like we did do writing stuff, but like most of the work that was done in those classrooms that I really wanted to get through was like how to understand how a society, like how to understand society and how to navigate it and how to protect yourself, how to protect and validate your identity especially as we're moving through the education system, especially because we're first-generation college students to be, especially because we're facing racism and xenophobia 
and all of these things. So that was like the first place where I started to develop like my ethics in such a way that would support um, like identity development. Yeah, like positive identity development to survive this world, to survive and and make it through and, and to thrive and to find joy. And at the time, I didn't know this, but this brings me to now. Now I understand that part of the work that I was doing at that point in 2016 was um, like could fall under uh, like critical race theory, which is also being heavily discussed right now and misrepresented by people who want to suppress it. Um, I was doing, along with my team, um, like very important work. And I would say very necessary work. Um, so yeah, and from that point on, I continued with teaching positions. Um, I taught at, for a little bit, I was a student teacher at Dell Valley High School, which is right outside of Austin city limits. Uh, I would drive <laughs> uh, with my broken car at the time and was just happy that it, you know, didn't break down. <laughs> and I taught at Travis High School, which is a Title I school and in Austin too. Came out with a great, great mentor from that too. Um, shout out to Frank Maragi. And um, yeah, continued teaching. And then I took a few jobs as an after-school tutor. Um, I think for two years or one and a half years and then one full summer and that's also where I met Jimmy and um, then I moved towards uh, another AmeriCorps program communities and schools in which I took on more of a social work type role uh, which in which I was still mentoring kids but working with their families and that led me to social work and so in each of those contexts I um, like again my like I, I wanted to use my position and my relative power responsibly. I wanted to use it towards like better mental health practices for young kids, for students. I wanted to use it towards positive identity development, which I will I have to clarify like that is not that is not an original phrase. I believe I got it from um, I, I worked at the Excellence and Advancement Foundation, which is an incredible nonprofit organization led by Dr. Courtney Robinson. Um, and we work with youth in the community. Um, and so we, we do a lot of community-based youth work um, to combat the school-to-prison pipeline. And um, that, that's where that phrase comes from. So just so you know, um, positive identity development. But like that was a concept that I had been um, like wanting to develop professionally. Like a professional skill that I have to develop is a sense of ethics that is that centers social justice. I have to be very mindful of that and that requires me to do a lot of self-reflection, to do a lot of consulting with other people, to ask myself these hard questions in situations that are not black and white about like how to just how to how to do all of it, you know? Like how to how to do all of it. I remember like there when I was student teaching at Travis High School, this was around the time where, um, during which, don't know, <laughs> this was around the time that ICE, uh, like the immigration, I don't know the acronym, but they were doing raids in Austin. And because the majority of the students at Travis High School were Latinx, um, there was an unspoken, and, and like 
I would say both unspoken and spoken, like, like just fear that was present. And we would, because the classroom that I was in was a social studies classroom, like we were learning about United States history and world history, um, but we would occasionally take some time, like the main teacher structured the class and allowed time for students to discuss um, the like state of the world related to immigration and documentation and some students had a very personal connection to that and I remember like two distinct moments that again that was during the year 2016 or 2017 so again like this is during Trump's first presidency uh, at first only presidency term um, and that environment I remember like it was like there was a discussion that had to be had as to whether or not posters about that would inform students about ice raids should be posted this was a high school and eventually the posters about immigration raids and how to like remain safe were posted and like there there just was a discussion that had to be had about that it is like personal experiences are political experiences like they're like so that happened and then as far as the content in the class um yeah, a decision had to be made a discussion had to have taken place about how to allow students to talk about those experiences especially like one of the things that was especially like challenging for me was yes there are a lot of latinx students yes there are, and not just but specifically yes there are students who are themselves undocumented or have really close family members who are undocumented but we still could not assume that every single student agrees politically or has the same experience like what happens in a discussion space full of um i don't know 13, 14, 16, 17, 18 year olds when you have different opinions, different political opinions that could potentially um, like trigger a really strong emotional reaction because it is personal injustice that is that is being you know discussed like so so how as an educator, even as a student teacher, um, like I, I'm still under the wing of the main teacher but like, there were still situations where I had to really be careful like of how to make this an emotionally safe space, how to make space for the trauma that any of us could be experiencing. But like I, my approach had to be trauma informed, um, how to mitigate arguments that would come up, whether it's related to like personal identity things or just like things in general and how to make it a safe space to move through those disagreements, remove uh, to validate the harm that was caused and like keep us in one community like there there were so many really complex things about about that space about each context so yeah I started with high schoolers and then I went down to elementary which is a big jump developmentally and so everything was different I also had to consider like there, there are just like more little like bickery fights at the elementary school level there was like I remember in one of the after-school programs there was like interpersonal 
disagreements amongst a group of third grade girls and so that also becomes like okay how do I address emotional regulation and healthy communication at with with nine and ten year olds or and eleven year olds so that was a thing and then at the same time at the same school I was also working with preschool students so emotional regulation at another developmental stage an earlier one and this was around the time I think that like slime had just come out or had just like been been reintroduced so slime and fidget toys and like all of that and so um what is it also classroom management I remember like one of my fondest memories was there was one child who I will not name because I think I cannot name them and I wouldn't anyway um whose whose mom worked at um, another at like the high school campus in the school system so like she would have to stay later and so he was often um we would often I would have to take him to the main office and wait with him um while his mom was driving over and to like occupy our time like I I made along with my colleagues like a curriculum a mini curriculum for like the after school hour that we were with them um but that ran out like I like you know I they did the activities and the activities were the activities and like that's it so we had I had extra time to like figure out like how do I entertain and keep this child safe and he really liked dinosaurs as many children and adults do and so after school like a few days a week I would queue up on YouTube a bunch of like animated dinosaur fights and I like this was another ethical thing because I, I feel like I do have regrets because um, I, I like own up to this. Like some of them, I tried to make sure that they weren't like gory dinosaur fights. Like that's blatantly wrong. But some of, and so they weren't gory. I like pre-screened them and, but they were still dinosaur fights. So I, I like, I wish I would have used better judgment and have not and should like didn't expose him as much to dinosaur fights but yeah we saw several videos in a row and then we would act out with like little lego toys um dinosaur fights as well so it's been that's been really cool um i've always loved across in every single like teaching mentor position i've had like i've loved getting to interact with the students like where they are so like with the little kids, I would play so much, dude. I would play like tag, I would play hide and seek with them. I would make Play-Doh animals. I would fight with fake dinosaurs. I would play dollhouse things. Um, it was, I would color with them. I'd make like pipe cleaner bracelets. Um, and then I would talk about with like the elementary school kids, like they were getting into pop culture and stuff. And so we'd have silly conversations about Jojo Siwa and you know other Taylor Swift and like just act things out and do little dance routines and then with the high schoolers I love working with high schoolers but you like have to be able to like clap back <laughs> when the time comes like some of them would make fun of my shoes which is fine um but like that that's just like fun it's so fun to like be able to experience to share joy with someone in a different generation. Like I love working with kids. I love working with them. Oh my gosh. Um, so that's really kept me going. And again, that's what led me to the field of social work. I, wow, like continued 
to this day. Like I currently have um, a mentee through the Spark Change project, um, although I am transitioning out. But like huge shout out to my mentee. It has been, it has been such an honor um, to work with her. Uh, but I don't think I can reveal details just to protect privacy. But so exciting. Um, yeah, and my ethics continue to develop. I continue like with you know my most recent uh, mentee and. I'm still asking those questions of like, how do I use my relative power? How do I share power? How do I encourage um, like self-determination? How do I like balance out um, like encouragement and like definitely not doing things for her? Like it's just been so interesting to consider how I can support people across different developmental stages um, and different individual differences. So that's really cool. I really like what I do. Um, I feel like this is full of this career path has been so purposeful for me and of course I have a very spiritual uh, like connection to it I feel like because I am a black Filipino woman um, coming from where I come from going through what I've gone through what my parents and uh, um, grandparents and ancestors and other community members have gone through like it feels very meaningful to be standing alongside others as we like, you know, just figure out how to be human together, you know? Like, I feel really grateful to be a part of something that respects life and celebrates life and works towards, like, just making life enjoyable and good and safe. Um, so I guess to echo, to return to the um, topic that I started with, the you know, big negative feelings that I have about inequality and sci-fi like situations and how it does seem like the world is really going through it right now, um, how the people are really going through it right now. Um, I, I feel like I'm doing something about it and there's more to be done, but I feel like glad that there are more of us out there who like do care deeply and yeah are just doing the thing so yeah that's it um thank you for listening if you've made it this far very cool um right now in my head i am really hoping that the beginning wasn't too full of gum shui sounds uh yeah that's it i hope y'all stay safe and have a very good day or evening or afternoon and i'll see y'all when i see y'all <laughs>